welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast, powered by Go Tennis. Check out our calendar of Metro Atlanta tennis events at letsgotennis.com, where you can also find deals on equipment, apparel, and more. In this episode, we talk to Luke Jensen, current coach of Coco Vandeweghe and advocate for the Atlanta Tennis Open. Have a listen and let us know what you think. You mentioned in an email recently that you're working with the Atlanta Open. So yep. can you tell me about what you're doing here in Atlanta? Yeah, you know, I'm blessed to have had uh, Atlanta in our family since 1990. Uh, my first vacation, uh, I think I was eight years old. Uh, one of my mom's brothers, uh, an uncle of ours, lived in Marietta near the Big Chicken. I'll never forget the Big Chicken and everything. And just a great summer. Went to Six Flags, but went to the Atlanta Open as a kid and got to see John McEnroe and went to a clinic with Stan Smith and Dennis Ralston. And, and I mean, it was just awesome to see professional tennis, even though I didn't really understand it or anything, but it was just great event. And, uh, and, and watching, you know, where such great talent really came from in the United States, you know, back in the day, Al Parker owns the you know, national junior titles record, most gold balls in boys history in the juniors, all American at Georgia, um, played some pro tennis stuff. Uh, Michael Pernforce, you know, all everything at Georgia, uh, finals of the French open, you know, all these, all these talented players and programs were coming out of Atlanta, the weather, the facilities, more importantly, when you're traveling and touring everything direct from, from the airport. So instead of being up in Michigan where you needed like a stage coach and get on a train that like you got to hike 50 miles, you know, everything's direct, which is great as a pro tennis player. Um, so I've been here since 90 in different capacities, played the Atlanta open and, uh, part, played Alta, uh, coached Alta and stuff. And just, there's such a great energy, uh, in tennis here in the subdivisions and the clubs and things, everybody's so positive. And then a couple of years ago, uh, Wayne Bryant was like the MC of the tournament for doing appearances for, uh, corporate sponsors and for Alta teams and things like that. And he couldn't do it one year. So I, Honestly, was after Wimbledon, I was uh, salmon fishing in a kayak in, on Lake Michigan, and I get a call, you know, from my mom, the agent. Hey, you know, uh, Eddie Gonzalez, you know, needs a replacement. Can you be here tomorrow? And I'm, I'm like, I'm smelling like salmon. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rowing my kayak back in. I get in the car, couldn't make it in time uh, for a flight. wasn't going to get me there, so I drove all night get get to Atlantic Station and start the next morning. I think we had an eight o'clock clinic or something like that. And then we run clinics, do a lot of promotions because they bring in like Coco Golf. They bring in a uh, Sloan Stevens, Maddie Keys, Johnny Max been here to do like the kickoff for the, the tournament. Um, Atlanta does such a great job. The Atlanta Open, just getting people involved because it's a tricky market. Tennis players here like to play. And unless you're bringing Roger Federer and uh, Rafa and these guys, 
They don't watch unless you're bring, you can't bring Roger Rabbit and expect. So they bring Kyrios, Jack Sock is entertaining, uh, Benoit Pair. They bring personalities as well as John Isers won this thing like 6,000 times. But they have now that the American men are doing extremely well, as well as the women. So you gravitate to the JJ Wolves and you gravitate to the Sebi Cordes and Taylor Fritzes and you see the Jensen Brooksby's. So my involvement really has been kind of a, a year-round presence of ticket sales, awareness, because I live local um, in Sandy Springs. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a home game for me. And uh, it, it just, I'm blessed to be able to still be part of this tennis community. And, uh, you know, whether it's going to your serve tennis and get my racket strung and picking up my gear, and it just running into people that are just playing Alta and tennis is, is our jam here. It really is. And we're just, I'm blessed and my family's blessed to have been, been here since 1990. I'm still laughing. I don't have anything to say, Sean. I'm, I'm still getting <laughs> away. <laughs> well, you, we left out world team tennis too, Luke. I mean, that's yeah. where we, we had a blast doing that with the thunder. That was always a entertaining that's right. experience. That's right. But yeah. That, that place is gone now. It was a bummer, but. Yeah, you know, the, like I said, that you can win here in Atlanta with tennis events, but you've got to get go to them, give them a reason why to go. You've got to entertain them and entertain their kids and things. And I think the Atlanta Open has done that, continues to evolve. And uh, I've talked with the management now. Eddie Gonzalez has now moved on after a great run, um, just getting it to where it really needs to be. And now with the product – I think Atlantic station is great for the players because you get to stay right there at that hotel, walk down the practice this year. I think practice is at Georgia tech so that, you know, and the wild cards go to the, you know, the players from Georgia, Georgia tech. So it's, you really start to connect to why I've got to put that on my calendar um, as well as bringing in the Coco golfs and these WTA players that also gives another look because more than half of our players that play Alta are women. And you got to talk about fashion. You got to talk about team. You got to talk about how to win more matches because this place doesn't like to lose. They like to compete. And um, it's just a great place. World Team Tennis was awesome playing down here, you know. And so um, I just think, and it's the best, in my opinion, you're going to see something very soon coming out of this place as far as like a top ranked pro on the male or female side. You're seeing a lot of collegiate players coming out of here, out of the you know, whether it's Old Town and the various, uh, you know, academies and things like that, great coaching and uh, great competition. I've got nieces and nephews. I mean, I had to travel, honestly, one way to Detroit, five hours. One way to one way to Chicago is five hours. Get in the van and you got to, you know, after school on Friday and you got to match Friday night and you're just still trying to find your legs in the first set getting out of the van and you're playing now. I mean, my my family they play in Macon, they play in Rome, they play in Atlanta, and there's kind of, you don't have to go anywhere. You stay right here and get your butt kicked and get better. And I mean, there's players going to Notre Dame, there's players going to Georgia, there's players going to you know Texas schools all over the place. And it'll just be I think in the next five to ten years you're going to see someone really take off and do some special things at majors. So how do you instill, I, I told Sean, I, you know, we did the Team Luke last summer. 
Yeah. And the effort you put in, and I, I called Miss Patricia that night and I said, just watch him tomorrow. He's going to be sore. I said, we were out there in the heat for how many hours? And I said, At the t everybody else is done. And then he goes on and puts on a serving exhibition and allows everybody to return his serve lefty and righty. I was like, I've never seen anything. And we're not young anymore. You know, I, I'll, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm older than you. So I'm like, he's going to be sore tomorrow. I said, so please watch him. But how do you instill that sense of fight? And that, and I, as a coach, much lo lower level, of course. But like you said, the, the building the bricks, chopping the wood, that fact that everything's got to have a purpose. And I think that more than anything, because certainly can't talk about facilities. Kids here got the greatest facilities in the world. How do we instill that fight when these kids get to come from so much that they don't understand what you're talking about? And when they look at you, when you say it out loud, it's the old, well, you walked up, you know, uphill five miles mm -hmm. in a snowstorm. We've heard it all before. <laughs> yeah. Well, today, today's athlete is different. I don't care where you are around the world. I'm, I'm blessed. The last year I've been working with Coco Vanderway, former top 10 player in the world. She's like, I think she's 150 now. She just dropped a bunch of points. Um, but uh, we played all the majors last year. We played Australia this year. Um, so I, I really am jacked up because I've been doing the TV since 94 with ESPN. So that's a different type of access and a different type of intensity the, the, the long days and things, but you're really not invested. When you start, when you're playing and the next thing, the closest thing to playing at that level is coaching because there's even more pressure on the coach, I find, because you have, they can, you can coach now, you're able to talk to them when they're on your side of the court or you can give signals when they're on the other side of the court, but it's still really tough because you can't really say that much. They're too far away. It's not like you're sitting on the bench with them. But what I've learned is that this player, no matter where they're from in the world, you got to meet them where they are. I, I think back in the day, there was a, whether right or wrong, you did what your teachers told you to do. You did what your parents told you to do. Um, your coaches that they told you to run, you ran and you just trusted, or I don't know if you even trusted, you just did it. And when for me, at least, when I clicked in, the harder I work, the better I get. When I learned that, that that my secret weapon wasn't that I had a big forehand or that I could serve 130 miles an hour with both hands or anything like that. The secret weapon was, holy cow, like, if I work as hard as I, I get better, the harder I work. That, that little, like, the light went off whenever that was in my teenage years. And, like, until then, I was, you know, you lose focus and you wander. And so today's athlete, how can I, as a coach, connect with this generation? And what I say is meet them where they are and then try to move the needle. So is it their brand? Is it their social media thing? Is it their, whatever that is, their talent can get them on, only so far. And then you've got to sit down and negotiate that next, <laughs> you know, chop of the wood that you, you just got to do it and understand, listen, it's just, there's a maturity thing. Some people get it. Some people don't. Um, Agassi got it in his thirties. Right, he was right. just really, really talented. And then he found a love for the sport in his thirties an understanding of the magic of competing and losing and getting better and winning and, and sacrifice and all that stuff. Some people have it from the start, from the jump, like Rafael Nadal, that dude is a killer. Um, and it, it, like a, 
maybe a Kyrgios never gets it. We don't know, but they have tennis and whether it's the juniors, I see um, wherever they are, they have tennis kind of where they have it. And if the parent wants it more than they do, it's not going to work. If the coach wants it more, just because the kid is talented, doesn't mean they're going to reach full potential, whatever that is. The kid has to do their part. And that's 50% of it. I mean, I've coached in college at Syracuse University for eight years. I know, you know, producing that level to the next level, which is you got the college. Now let's get you world ranked. And so half the players I worked with out of 42, we got 21 WTA ranked. And that was not easy. I'm not getting blue chips. You know, I, I'm not getting kids out of Atlanta that go to Georgia or to Florida. I mean, I'm, I'm getting kids that are multiple sport athletes that are four-star tennisrecruiting.net. How can I make that kid better? And there's a magic in that too, because they haven't had a lot of success and you can have a lot of input and they'll grab onto it because they've lost a lot. They've taken a lot of shots to the head. You take some blue chip that, yeah, I could go to Florida, could go to Georgia. I'm kind of, you know, I've already made it. That's another challenge. And so your ability to trick both of them into working harder, buying into the harder I work, the better I get. And the bottom line is, if you don't love it, love all of it, love not only the winning, but love the losing. And the losing tells you, you've got to get better. And then, uh, and then for me, it's like, it was always that rocket fuel that said, okay, I'm not doing enough and meet them. If they, you've got to be able to like, listen, if they're not, you know, reaching their part of the deal, they're 50%, they're part of it, sit them down, have a mature conversation. They just want to be communicated with, in my opinion, when they're acting up or they're not, they're having a bad day, take a timeout, take it, you know, take a little two minute timeout and say, okay. What's up today? Could be stuff in school. There are a lot of pressures on these kids that we never faced. They read their replies. These pros, I'm watching Francis Tiafa last week. We're at the U.S. Clay Courts in Houston. This dude played the probably the best match I'd ever seen. He played second round, bone crushed this guy. Bone crushed him. And it was on clay, and he doesn't have a – Francis doesn't have a great clay court record, but he win, ends up winning this tournament. As soon as he shakes hands, he goes right to his phone, checks his phone. That's very important to these guys. And I don't care how much the, the older generations try to say it's nothing but a distraction. I'm saying it's a reality. How can we work with that kind of athlete to get into the next level? Wayne Ferreira, who's been working with uh, Francis Tiafo the last few years, he, it's, it's been a process. He's always talked about it's a process. Francis, we're stretching now for the next 30 minutes. No phone. You know what I mean? But Francis is an adult now. He's in his mid-20s. You can say that to someone you know, as an adult who that's what they do for a living. He's got big contracts with Nike and Yonix and other places. He's got uh, his agent now is Serena Williams' old agent. And so, like, he's, he's playing big boy stuff now. But with juniors, sometimes they don't understand. Maybe their things are being taken away from them. Maybe their, their sacrifice is like, you know, I'm missing out on everything because I'm seeing on my phone my friends are – having fun here, or they're going to this party, that party. You've got to somehow find to connect them to the love of the sport and how, how, much, how beautiful this sport is by working hard and continuing to improve. Because if they shut off, you'll never get them. As soon as they're done, because they get cheated every weekend, 
yeah. change, someone changes the score, some weird parent. It's the hardest sport in the world. I, I, I honestly have teared up watching kids at junior tournaments walk with their bags and walk with their, with their water jugs. And they're walking out there with their opponent, no umpire, no scorekeeper, no coach. Every other sport gets that. Tennis is so far behind because traditionally we've never done it. Why would you put your kid out there in that environment? Now, you, I, I truly believe there should be coaching, whether it's you pay for a coach, you don't have a coach, a parent should be able, or a fellow competitor, a buddy sits on the court, you know, have some fun, you know, whatever. You go through the courses, you get certified to be able to on court person. And if you act like a knucklehead, the roving umpire can haul, you know, you're out tennis parent or you're out coach. You know, if, if something, um, like in other sports, like they do in, you know, uh, little league baseball or football, you know, parents have, are very much involved in the coaching process. And if they don't, they don't behave, they're out. I think tennis in our sport, we are so far behind every other sport because a kid, I know this because two of my nephews that were very talented and loved to play, they got sick of being cheated every single weekend, every weekend. What am I doing it for? I'd rather go ride my dirt bike. I'd rather go hang out with my friends because this stinks. I work all, I work hard after school, before school, and I get there and it's not even a fair fight. So to be able to manipulate that or work with that as a coach that you've got to listen, a great coach is a listener, a great listener, because they're, they're showing you through their body language. They're showing you through their, their, uh, their words. Maybe they're late to practice. Maybe their ball pickup stinks. Maybe they're going to the bathroom too many times. They're telling you, I don't want to do this. Okay, what can we do? Can we shorten up? I know the, uh, my brother liked to play games to 11. Okay, you don't want to go 100 balls cross court, but we'll play games to 11. And he loved it. You got to find out, you know, what kind of practice partner there are. So that's, that's a magic in coaching is trying to figure out every little combination to every kid you have. And you don't, and you don't like I see Bobby nodding his head when you're talking. And I, and I would take it a different direction. You say, why would you do that to your kid and put him out there on your own? And I, my first thought is, would you like the short answer or the long answer? Because I come at it from the point of view of, I look at that 10-year-old whose bag is as big as he is, and he works his way through all the adults, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, works his way up, makes his way up to that desk and says, hello, excuse me. My name is Sean, and I need to check in for my tennis match. Yeah. I think that is badass. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I just, I just seen the burnout um, because remember now, you know, especially at the pros. I mean, I seen Spytech. This girl's worth whatever hundred million dollars. She's number one in the world. She's got future Hall of Fame. Everything. She's crying, crying. It means that much to her. But she's. I mean, listen. There's certain losses that. Uh, that are going to make you cry that uh, as competitors, we all do. Um, but the United cup it, before the Australian is not one of them. And, <laughs> and to me, when you see the electrode stuck to your forehead, because your mental coach, I mean, in front of everybody else, I mean, I look at that as like, I would do anything to play her. I would be in, I would have rental space in that, in that cranium of hers and maybe a Polish penthouse. I don't know, maybe like a, a, a like a walk-in uh, closet. I would have so much rental space in her headspace by 
if she's that fragile, I can get right in there as a competitor and I can work that over. That, that's, that's how, how good she's got to be, even in spite of being that fragile. And see, that's what I'm saying. That's how good she is. But you take someone like, let's say, Jesse Pagula, who doesn't need the money. You're talking about, you know, all these people with me. She, she just loves it. She's the only one that I see. Uh, Coco Goff, too, that will go and scout their opponents. Most of the time, the coaches do it. She'll sit with the coach, and they will scout together. They will, after every practice, every match, before press conference, they will uh, they will hit practice serves. That's her weakest, her second, Pagula's weakest shot is her second serve. She practices it every day. And then um, after, uh, at every tournament, for the most part, even majors, she plays doubles. Same with Coco Goff. Who are the biggest risers in our sport? Coco Goff and, um, and Jesse Pagula. And what do they do? They do, they put in the work, they play the dubs and they don't want to, they just, they know, they listen to, they're very coachable. And it's, it, you're right. It's badass to see these kids walk up there, but there's so much doubt. There's so much, there's so much nerves and the burnout factor is huge. And I see it at the pro level, seen it at the college level. Uh, I, I won't even name the name, a dear friend of mine that I grew up playing in juniors, college and pros. His daughter is elite. And I'm, I'm watching video and she's screaming how much she hates tennis and she's in a pro event and she's screaming. And it's like, man, like get her off the court, just get her off the court. Let's go to a movie. Let's, you know, let's go grab a pizza or something like that. Like, let's talk this out because this, it doesn't, it's a 15,000. Like this is the lowest level that you can play. If you are really going to do it, if you're feeling this way here, the pressure is even more, the higher you get, the pressure is more and more. So I just, we've got to listen to our, our players and we got to love them and we got to try to understand them because it's a, it's a lonely game and it's filled with pressure. And I hate to see these kids that burned out and never want to play again. And I think I thought saw a stat, <clears throat> I think it was over 70% of college players D one never swing another tennis racket after the last ball struck of playing college, all that work, all that sacrifice. They are so good. They are so good. And they are done with it. Why is that? I think what, let's do a study on that. Let's really deep dive in that. And, um, to me is we, we, we just see all oh, this player got burned out and they just get kind of pushed aside and we just keep marching forward. And I think we, there's a lot of learning we can do, growth we can do by figuring out, by talking to players that did lose it and lost it for a while. And what happened here? What would you have done differently? Were you, did we listen to you? Um, I, I, I just think we have to do a lot more and finding out how we can stop the burnout factor. And um, these kids are getting scholarships. They get to play D, you know, there's a lot of love. High school tennis is great in this area. I've got nieces and nephews that are playing high school tennis. It's so much fun getting in the bus and with kids that are going to play club tennis or cause scholarship tennis at the next level, or maybe not, but maybe one day they'll come back and play Elta. You never know. This is a sport for a lifetime. Well, there you have it. We want to thank Rejuvenate.com for use of the studio. And be sure to hit that follow button. For more tennis-related content, you can go to AtlantaTennisPodcast.com. 
And while you're there, check out our calendar of tennis events, deals on equipment, apparel, and more. And you should feel good knowing that shopping at letsgotennis.com helps support this show. You can also donate directly using links in the show notes. And with that, we're out. See you next time.